0: And uh, without further ado, Simon Bardoni, round applause. Thank you, Jacob. It is Valentine's Day this week, isn't it? Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. Good to know. Now, I, I'm a married man. Want to keep it that way? <laughs> Thank you. No, I knew. I wouldn't forget that. Come on. Um, there's my wife. We're doing good. What are we God in a Christian context? So, anyways, I hope that can, this can be that for you. Have you, ever, um, have you ever had this experience where you're inviting a friend to church and you're, you're hoping to God that this isn't one of those Sundays where your pastor is going to talk about something really uncomfortable and awkward? <laughs> you, ever, you ever have that experience? This could be one of those Sundays. So just just go with it. Embrace the awkwardness. We, we We will all live, I promise you. But we've been studying through one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It's one of two letters that the Apostle Paul, one of the earliest church leaders, wrote to the church in Corinth, the ancient first century church of Corinth. This is the first of two letters that we that we have in our Bibles written by him. Uh, we've entitled our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, Unlikely Church, because the church in Cor- the first century church in Corinth is arguably the most dysfunctional church to have ever existed in Christendom. They've just got like all sorts of problems. And it's really encouraging because as we read through it, it's like, yeah, there's, there is hope. If God can do something incredible and, and beautiful, redemptive through a, a motley crew like the Corinthians, gosh, there, there is no limit to the grace of God. So we're going we're gonna to pick up where we left off in our study of 1 Corinthians. We are in chapter 14 this week. So if you have a Bible, um, now would be the time to grab it. If you'd like to, to use one of these Bibles in the center aisle here, please, by all means, grab one. Part 21, Tongues and Prophecy. This is what Paul is talking about towards the end of the letter. Okay, last week, let me just just tie, tie this in a little bit. Last week was 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul, it's really the climax of the letter. It's the pinnacle of Paul's thought. And he's saying everything that we've talked about so far hinges on the love of God in Christ you can know everything, you can experience everything. You can have all knowledge, you can have all power, but without love, you have absolutely lost the plot. You've missed the point. You have nothing. Because Jesus invites us to experience the love of the Father. He invites us, he died for us, that we might experience the kind of love that transforms the world. And we can be ethical, we can be moral, we can be religious, and we can be spiritually dressed to the nines. But without love, we have nothing. And that was Paul's big point in chapter 13. Now in 14, he continues this thought, but he gets a bit more specific because we're talking about spiritual gifts. And this is what he says, chapter 14, verse one, pursue love this is this is a command pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God for no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit verse 3 on the other hand the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement, and consolation, or comfort. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself or herself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church as a whole. Now, I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Verse 12. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Now you may have noticed we skipped from like verse 5 to 12. For sake of time, I want to paraphrase just a little bit. But he, he, he uses this illustration of why praying in tongues might be beneficial to yourself as an individual, but not helpful to so like anyone else listening. It's in the same way if you were going to play a musical instrument. Okay, if, if the notes are just all over the place and there is no rhythm or, or song, it's, it's really meaningless. You're not helping anyone. You might enjoy it personally, more power to you, but in the same way, prophecy is better than tongues, especially when we gather together as a church. Okay, we're going to pause there. We're going to jump back into to Paul's thought in a second. But I want to make a couple of preliminary points um, about tongues and prophecy before we get into the details. Number one, um, this is a great example. This is a great example of non-anxious leadership. This is a bit of a side point that's so good to point out. The church in Corinth, they are, they are dysfunctional to say the least. They're getting together and it's chaos. It's confusion. People are acting selfishly. It would seem they're sort of like the, the, the perfect case study, the hyper-charismatic church gone wild. They're, just, they're really into their spirituality and they just, they like the, the feels you get when you start to dabble in all of the, you know, various spiritual experiments and, and gifts and etc. Now, typically... I'm speaking as a church leader, as a pastor. Relatively young, but I've been around. Typically, when church gets weird, leaders tend to want to control. Well, let's, let's just be honest. When life gets weird, our default typically is to try to control. It's, it's our insecurity, it's our fear, but we want just, to just, just shut it down, batten down the hatches, just, just get rid of anything that makes you uncomfortable. And I love how Paul is so calmly and graciously dealing with this church. It would have been so easy for him to say, you know what? No tongues. Just knock it off. You're being weird and you're, it's annoying and so I decree. But he doesn't. It probably would have been a lot easier, just a bit more straightforward in my opinion. But he doesn't do that. He takes the non-anxious approach. And he says, look, in fact, he he even goes so far as to say in verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So he's engaging with Corinthians and their problem to do with how to utilize spiritual gifts and engage with the Holy Spirit in a way that is so utterly non-anxious. And he begins to deal with their problem, but in a way that actually models an approach that builds up as opposed to simply shutting down or controlling out of a place of fear or anxiety. Are you guys with me so far? This is a great example of non-anxious leadership. Secondly, Spiritual experiences, i.e. tongues, uh, prophecy, uh, or miracles, faith. There's a whole list of them that we read last week. Spiritual experiences and authentic, intelligent, and loving service to others are not mutually exclusive categories. This is another important side point again along the same lines of like our how we deal with slightly different potentially uncomfortable spiritual experiences oftentimes we we swing to one extreme or the other and we say look i'm looking for a church that's just down with the gifts like i want to get my weird on i want to i want to go to church and i want to just like you know just shout in tongues and and, and like i'm if I was living in the first century, I would, I would move to Corinth and I would just join the party. Or we, we swing to the other, uh, other side and we're like, look, no, that's just, that's just not about church. What church is really about, it's about being moral. Uh, it's about learning how to serve people and, and meet needs. And, and so we, wanna, we, we tend to polarize and land in one of those two camps, typically just to do with our personality, your personality, But here's the point I want to make. Paul says in verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Um, We need both. And let me me give you a couple more verses to back that up. James chapter 1 verse 27. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows, that is the marginalized, in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained. So true religion is serving the marginalized and living morally upright lives, unstained from sin in the world. But the scriptures also say in first first Thessalonians. First Thessalonians Chapter 5, verses 19 to 22, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every kind of evil. It's both, and the church needs both. The Christian faith, like every other religion in the world, if I can just... Grossly generalized generalize. the Christian faith like other religions in the world embraces uh, a, a way of life we, we have a Christian code of ethics there's certain things that we're meant to do certain ways that we're meant to love people and, and to be like good citizens in the world that's, that's just religion 101 unlike Virtually every other religion in the world. I suppose this is, this is debatable, but I'll, I'll make the point anyways. Unlike every other religion in the world, Christianity not only gives us an ethic to live by, it invites us into a relationship with God in a very, very personal manner. We're not meant to just simply live a certain way The gospel is that we're invited into a relationship so that we might experience life and all of the ethics of loving and serving others in the context of a relationship with our God. It's deeply personal. It's experiential. We're invited to engage in a direct and immediate relationship with God. In fact, and I've said this before, you know how I would define what a Christian is? It's someone who experiences relationship with God as their father, like Christ. Now how that's even like a thing, how that's even possible, well, that's that's something else. That's something to talk about for sure. But if you were to boil it down, what does it mean to be Christ-like? It's to experience relationship with my maker like Christ. To relate with God as my father. To receive his love as my father. So the Christian faith, yes, there is a way, there is an ethic, there is a moral code by which we're meant to live by. We're to serve the afflicted and the marginalized. We're to walk in lives that are marked by purity and holiness in the context of an experiential relationship with our Heavenly Father. So it's pursue love and earnestly desire these experiences. Are you guys with me so far? So, let's talk... um, Let's talk about tongues. Tongues. I'm tempted to say, raise your hand if you pray in tongues. Why? That you immediately, don't do that. Let's, like, please don't do that. It's so awkward. Why is that awkward? Why is that? That's a question we must ask ourselves. If this is, like, a thing in the Scripture, and this isn't just, like, this little anomaly tucked away in, like, this, this sort of this Corinthian thing. Like, you actually see it quite a few times popping up, namely in the book of Acts, this was like a thing. And I would add, by the way, some of you probably already know this, but this phenomenon of praying in tongues, you know this is not just a Christian experience, right? Like virtually all the other major world religions like, have examples of this. Did you know that? It's not this weird thing that just charismatic Christians get into. It's a spiritual phenomenon that, that happens, that's always happened. And it happens in the Christian faith as well. Make of it what you will. Tongues. It's a kind of unintelligible, quote-unquote, language that makes no sense to anyone other than God. It's an uttering of mysteries in the spirit, as Paul said in verse 2. It's for personal benefit only unless the Holy Spirit simultaneously gives someone an interpretation of the utterance spoken. And that's tongues. I would argue uh, any definition beyond that is, is probably conjecture. Because that's, that's pretty much all we're told. It's this mysterious language. And I, I say language in quotes because it's not a language to be uh, translated Paul says you can pray or should pray for interpretation, which is something different than translation. It's this mysterious utterance of the Spirit, and it's meant to build the individual up. Uh, In the book of Jude, chapter or verse 20, we're encouraged to pray in the Spirit that we might be built up as individuals In our most holy faith. What does that mean? It's a thing. Paul speaks very positively of it. He says that I want all of you to speak in tongues. Paul speaks very positively. He wanted everyone in the church to, or at least in Corinth, to speak in tongues. However, and this is where we're going to continue on now. Let's go to the next slide, please. However, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider or a non-Christian say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Verse 17. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. And get this. Verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Just puts all of his cards on the table. (laughs) Nevertheless, in church, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct or build up others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's hyperbole. Paul's saying that prophecy is... 2,000 times better than tongues. If you want to do the math, it's super better. Prophecy. It's an actual human language, words that have been prompted by the Holy Spirit quite uniquely. For the building up of the body of Christ. It's for the purposes of edifying, or building up, encouraging, or consoling, um, or, sorry, edifying, encouraging, and consoling. Those are the three words. Building up, generally encouraging, or consoling, or comforting. This is how Paul describes prophecy. Prophecy. It's words that people can, be, can, that people can understand for the purposes of building up. Words that have been prompted by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not to be confused with prophecy of Scripture. This is very, very important. Okay, when I am being prompted by the Spirit to speak prophetically in a way that's going to edify, encourage, or comfort a brother or sister or another person in the church, I'm not speaking the words of God. That was a very unique and authoritative thing that the Holy Spirit did through the apostles, that is the eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ for a particular time. It says that when the Holy Spirit inspired or carried along the apostles, They spoke and ultimately even penned the very words of God, which is what we call the Bible. Here's something interesting to think about in the way we approach Scripture. The Bible, and again, this is one of the things that make uh, the Christian Scriptures very, very unique because there's a lot of religious books out there. But one of the things that makes the Bible quite an anomaly is that it is a 100% human book and 100% divine That should get you thinking theologically. We call it, when we talk about Jesus as 100% human and 100% God, that's called the hypostatic union of Christ. The Bible reflects that reality of Christ. It is a human book. It's packed full of, of culture, historical context, personality. There's a particularity about the Bible, and yet it is the Word of God. It is the Holy Spirit speaking, inspiring the words of God through people. So when I'm prophesying in the way that Paul is describing, I'm not writing the book of Simon, first, second, third Simon. No. And if anyone tries To convince you that that's what's happening, run! Just, just run! Don't, don't go back to that church. There's, I, I would say probably the only exception that I can find in Scripture of perhaps people speaking prophetically after the the close of the canon is in the book of Revelation, chapter eleven. There's two people, witnesses that are described to. Will prophesy for one thousand two hundred and sixty days. It's almost three and a half years. These prophets who have been sent from God to speak the words of God during the end times. And it says, if anyone tries to thwart them, they will fire will come out of their mouths and consume them. This is like hectic. Okay, that might be the exception. Okay, that's a, that's that's a different kind of prophesying. But what Paul is describing here in this. Little local church, this community that is built around the living Christ. Okay, we're, ta- we're talking about a different kind of prophesying. I hope that's clear. So prophecy—it's better than tongues. At least two thousand times better. Although Paul does say, "Look, I wish everyone prayed in tongues." In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll even admit I. Probably. I most definitely pray in tongues more than all of you. Can I confess something to you guys? I pray in tongues. I just do. I've been doing it. Now, I feel like I'm, I'm like cut, coming out of the spiritual closet here. <laughs> I remember having a conversation. Uh, so Door of Hope owns this building here. We've got this great sort of church friendship going. I was up in Josh White's office there. We are chatting about different things, theology and whatnot. And... Uh, And the topic came up, tongues. And he's talking, saying all this stuff. And I said, you know, I pray in tongues. And he took a step back. He said, really? I would have never have guessed. And I didn't know how to take it. It's like, I think think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. What you're saying is, I'm not weird. Because there's a lot of weird people out there. A lot of weird brothers and sisters in Christ. So I pray in tongues, and I'm going to echo Paul's words. I would like everyone to pray in tongues. Uh, I don't know if I pray in tongues more than everyone in here. It's not like it's a competition, Gabby. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) If you make eye contact with me, you're, you're, you're in for it. I started praying in tongues um, shortly after Jesus rescued me, shortly after I became a Christian. Um, in, in, in thinking back and how it came about, it was, it's probably a, a classic example of how it shouldn't be done, how it shouldn't be taught or talked about. Like I was in this situation where I sat down, it was, it was my pastor at the time, and it was another guy who was mentoring me, um, discipling me, And I'd been doing this Bible study through the book of Acts, and it kept coming up like a few times. I'm like, "What is this? Like, can is this is this for real?" And they're like, "Look, it's yeah, it's it's in the Bible. Like, can can I have it? Do you want it? I think." And they're all right. Let's let's schedule a meeting. And so we sat down, and they started praying in this, this these tongues, and I was intrigued. Slightly nervous, but intrigued, and I remember them telling me, "Like, hey, this is what you do." And they started to basically tell me, "Like, hey, open your mouth and like say what we're saying." And to be honest with you, God only knows, but I think I was probably faking it, <laughs> and I think God was in the moment. I, I don't know how, but somehow God God has this way of redeeming. All of our silliness. And so, yeah, I've been praying in tongues. I stopped for a time, probably like a year or so. I was in this weird place where I was like, ah, you know, it, just, it all feels weird and fake. And I was sort of reflecting on how and why I started praying in this bizarre language. And, and I, just, I didn't really know how to process it, so I just stopped. And then without thinking too hard about it, I just, I just started again. And I think it was genuine. I think it was the Holy Spirit just just prompting me in a way that's very hard to explain. But it's here in Scripture. It's a thing. And apparently we're to earnestly desire it, but especially that we might prophesy. So let's let's talk a little bit more about prophecy. Um, Prophecy. I would add this as well. Paul says, earnestly desire, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. It's interesting that he doesn't say, but especially that you may perform miracles or lay hands on the sick and see them be healed, or especially that you would pray for the dead to come back. I mean, I could think of like a short list of other supernatural gifts that personally, I would say, I'll, do, I'll take that over prophecy any day. But he says, especially that you might prophesy. Why, what is it about prophecy that, is, that makes it such a gift to the church? Um, I'm currently working on my graduate studies at Western Seminary. Tomorrow, I'm taking a three-day course. It's an intensive that's taught by the president of the university, Dr. Randy Roberts. Does anyone know him? He assigned us two sort of pre-reading assignments before the course, which starts tomorrow. Two books. One, Gospel Treason by Brad Bigney. Highly recommend it. Gospel Treason by Brad Bigney. And the other book is Practicing Affirmation by Sam Crabtree. I realized that it's a book on the gospel, which is a pretty good thing to think about while you're at seminary, and quote-unquote affirmation which is really just like a, it's just a sort of, uh, how can I say this? It's just another way of saying the gift of prophecy, the way he describes it in the book. Preach the gospel, embrace the gospel, live the gospel, and build up the body of Christ. Eagerly desire this spiritual gift to prophesy that the church might be built up because we really, really need it. I thought it was interesting that the president of Western Seminary would give us those two books, the gospel and quote-unquote affirmation. So how do we prophetically build up the church? Let me, let me give you four, four ways. Number one, by reminding an individual of what God says about them in Christ. Okay, I want to I see if I can't demystify this just a little bit. How do we prophesy in the church? How do we use words that encourage, edify, and console the community around us? Remind people of who they are in Christ. Which, by the way, that's just good discipleship. If you ever meet a young Christian who's just getting to grips of like, what it means to be a Christian, they need to be reminded a lot of their new identity in Christ. So I don't know about you, but my, my first decade plus of following Jesus, I was a mess. I was just sinning, heresy. I'm just like, I'm all trying to pray in tongues, being weird. Like, I need more than anything else, I needed. Someone to look me in the eyes and say, Let me remind you of who you are in Jesus Christ. Let me, let me remind you that I'm just, you know, sitting there in my sin, in my mess. I needed to be corrected for sure, I needed to be rebuked, all that. But more than anything else, I needed to remember who I was, who God says I am as an adopted child of Christ. Of God in Christ. Number two, we prophetically build up the church by affirming the goodness of God's activity in a person's life. By finding ways to highlight the grace of God at work in a fellow sinner's life. God is at work in his church. I don't care how screwed up or messy you think you are. It's probably worse than you even realize. But God is at work. Oh, this this is the Corinthians. If you go back to the the part one, the opening, uh, Paul's introduction to this unlikely church, he encourages them. He affirms God's faithfulness in the church in Corinth. Guys, we live, uh, I don't know if it's just our city, if it's kind of like a, you know, 2018 deal. But we are bombarded with criticism. It's, it's like authenticity equals cynicism. You're not actually being genuine unless you're just being like critical and, and cynical. And then we call it like just being scientific. Like I, I get that. I get the logic of that. But guys, we're living in a world, I mean, media, gosh, like we're just constantly being bombarded with all that's wrong with the world, with the church, with me, with the church down the street, with the guy on television. We need to begin looking for ways to affirm what God is doing in the world. We don't ignore uh, injustice, We don't sugarcoat evil. We don't fail to to speak prophetically to those things in the world. Guys, we should be highlighting the goodness of God all the more. And by the way, if you're ever thinking about either getting married or having a friend, this will really, really help your relationship. So it works on either end of the spectrum. Okay? It's especially helpful in marriage. I'm just saying. Life's difficult. We're all just kind of doing our thing, making our mistakes. It's easy to point out what's wrong. To prophetically build up the church is to begin looking for and affirming the goodness of God in people's lives and even the world all around us. Number three, so that's reminding, affirming. Number three, we prophetically build up the church by celebrating the countless number of ways that God has been faithful. So affirmation has more to do with like, well, let me just affirm what I'm seeing right now. What you just said, that's, that's God. That sounded like you've been reading your Bible. Let me affirm that. Celebrating is very similar, but it's, it's reflecting on what God has done. You know, every Tuesday evening, our, our little volunteer staff um, assembles in my office here. And, uh, you know, we talk about the week. We talk about our plans, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things it's a cornerstone feature in our weekly meeting, what did God do last week? We need to celebrate it. That's prophetic. That's going to encourage. That's going to edify. And at times, even console the weary pastor I know God must have done something. Just someone tell me something? Because last time I checked, Jesus is still alive. Can we at least just celebrate that? Amen. Amen. And so we celebrate. We celebrate the wins. Number four, fourth and final, we prophetically build up the church by asking questions regarding the well-being of another. You know, you can ask questions in a way that comfort people. Someone did that just last week for me. We had our state of grace meeting, sort of like a little, little family business meeting after the service last Sunday. And uh, we talked about money, we talked about plans, leadership, et cetera. And then after the meeting, uh, one, of, one of my sisters in Christ, her and her husband came walking up. She looked me right in the eye. She said, Simon, how are you doing? And initially I was like, fine. How are you doing? You know, kind of like this slight, like, well, what do you mean? Like, is something? That I? Am I appearing to be bad? You know, that little defensiveness you get. She was speaking prophetically. She said, "No, no, no. Like, it's not that. I'm. It's not that you're messing up. I just sensed that perhaps there's some things going on, and I wanted to just check." And what she was saying is, I felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting me to ask the question, and it was encouraging. It was comforting. It was comforting. Sometimes we can we can ask someone a question in a way where it doesn't really matter what the answer is per se, but it communicates that we care. That we deeply care. And we are listening. That's consoling. That builds up. That's speaking prophetically. Prophecy uh, apparently is also for the skeptic. Uh, let's read the final bit of this section. Do not be children in your thinking. The second time Paul has said this, he's saying, Look, guys, time to grow up. Stop thinking like children. Be infants in evil, so be innocent, but in your thinking be mature. Verse 21. In the law it is written, quote, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues, primarily speaking, tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together, like we've done this morning, and all are speaking in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? You're crazy. This confirms everything I thought. Christians are weird. That's that's the perception. Verse 24, but if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When we're speaking prophetically as a church community, that can happen. I've seen it happen. I've witnessed it, I've even participated in it. I can remember one time, I was a brand new Christian, and uh, this was like my first sort of church as a Christian, born again Christian, and there was a gentleman who, it was, it was quite extraordinary. I wouldn't say this is like somehow like a template for, for how it should be done, or, but there was a gentleman there and he got up in front of the congregation, and he said, look, I feel like God is saying something, and I wanna communicate this, only it had to do with a specific individual in the room. It was very, very bold, very risky, I would add. But he said, I wanna share something with you, and he picks this girl out of the audience. Super bold, and said, would you you mind coming up? I wanna share something with you. And I was on the worship team, so I was like standing here, or maybe it was on this side, I don't know, with my bass guitar, because we were kind of in the middle of our worship moment, and this, this girl comes walking up, and I can see her like as plain as day. She's got this look on her face of just like, you, this is ridiculous. It, just, it was just all over her face. You could tell, like, she was not excited. It was like, oh boy, like I get a little special moment. Like, you, you know, now it was like, oh my God, like I knew it. Like, this was the Sunday that, you know, you invite your friend, and, like, it's the worst. So she comes up, and she's standing there, and I, I promise you, I'm, like, here to here, and I'm watching her feeling so incredibly bad for this girl. Like, this is, this is so painful. And the gentleman, very, very gently, it's not like a big show, but he just says, I wanted to share this with you. I, it's like, it was like the Holy Spirit just highlighted you, and I wanted to share this. And he, I don't remember what he said, but he proceeded to say something. In my opinion, it sounded very broad. It was like, oh, this, you could just like, totally be making this up. And as I watched this moment, this girl's, her whole countenance just began to transform. She went from this look of, like, disgust and like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is the stupidest thing ever, to now she's weeping. And God is, is doing something. I don't know what. I don't know how you could call it a coincidence. I get that. I get, I get that. But I can't deny that this moment happened. A similar thing happened to me once. This was back in London at our little congregation, um, a little bit smaller than this. On a Sunday evening on the campus at Imperial College, we were gathering. I had preached the gospel, and there was a girl. I didn't recognize her. I think she was there for the very first time, sitting on the floor in the very back, And as I'm trying to like close our little meeting and have our little prayer moment, it was like the Holy Spirit was like, just, and it was very uncomfortable. So I'm like, no, like no, like, like I will not, like just you know, just trying to like get it out of my mind. It's like no, like this this that no, and the Holy Spirit was like, yes, yes, like, like, oh, like this is bad. Like I'm gonna like I'm gonna I'm gonna screw this up. And it was so. And but I'm just like, you know what? Okay, yeah, and as, as gently and as appropriately as I could, I just said, I'm so sorry, I don't know your name, but can I?" and I didn't ask her to come up front. I said, but can I share something with you that I think God is, is wanting me to share with you? And it was in front of everyone, just the point. This is what Paul is talking about. Um, not that it has to be done that way, but we come together as a community, and people begin to speak for prophetically, God will will move in a way that people's hearts are just like torn open. And so I shared this prophetic word that I felt like God was putting on my heart. And I tried to say it in a way to where I said, look, this may, I don't even know. Like, I'm not saying thus says the Lord. Like, it was like, I think God wants me to share this with you. And I shared it with her. And same thing. It was just like, the tears. And she came up immediately afterwards. She was like, so what else did my friend tell you? tell you about me like she was convinced that someone had like pulled me aside and was like "Hey, I gotta, I gotta tell you something about this girl like, and I'm like oh, let me you know I'll, I'll pretend as if I'm getting like a prophetic I'm channeling the Holy Spirit here and I'm like honestly I, I didn't even know you knew so and so I just God put it on my heart I couldn't shake it and I, I don't know what to tell you but like God is in this place God is among us And so when we begin to cultivate this sort of desire for spiritual gifts, especially that we might prophesy, when we begin to um, perhaps get over some of the negative experiences that we've had of like Christian weirdness and say, all right, God, what do you want to do in your church? How do you want to utilize me I earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that I might prophesy so that the body can be built up. Um, If you want to come forward, I want to end on this thought. So we're commanded to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. you you, you catch that? Paul's literally commanding us, desire spiritual gifts. Okay, how do I do that? What if I don't? How do I cultivate that desire? Pray. Ask God to open your heart and begin to give you that desire. Um, Number two, practice. Don't be afraid. Um, Paul says in in the, the last chapter, he says we know in part and we prophesy in part. It's not about like getting the exact words. It's, it's more about like the posture of your heart and saying, look, in, in all honesty, I could be way off, but I feel like God is putting this on my heart and I'd like to encourage you. And we can begin to practice that without fear of like getting it wrong because it's not really about you or, or I anyway. It's about God. We need to pay attention. We can be prophetic listeners We listen to the Holy Spirit and we listen to each other so that we can engage in a way that our words build up. And then finally, we meditate on the cross. When we look to the cross, we find God's attitude towards humanity. When we look to the cross... What we don't hear is God saying, you gross, petty little creature. What we do hear God saying is, yes, I love you. I love you with a love that is so beyond your ability to fathom. I love you with a love that Makes it willfully impossible for me to exist without you. That is the prophetic word that resounds when we meditate on the cross. God deals with our sin. His wrath against our sin is satisfied through the death of his son on the cross. Why? Because of his love. Because of his love. When we meditate on the cross, the words of our Father begin to spill out and overflow in a way that builds up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Can we stand together, please? So that wasn't too weird, was it? Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins and to make a way for us to experience true life, eternal life that we might know you and and know your love as your adopted children, sons and daughters in Christ. And thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, that by your Spirit you've, you've invited us to participate in what you're doing in the world, in our lives, in your church, in the culture. I pray that you would cause us to to have an earnest desire for spiritual gifts and especially that we might prophesy, that we might speak words that you give us in such a way that that people are built up, your body is edified, that we're encouraged and even comforted. Lord, I pray that wherever there has been abuses or misuses of these things we've talked about, I pray that you would heal us and empower us to trust you again like little children who seem to so easily forget. Help us to be overwhelmed with your love that we may be eager conduits of it towards others. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: I just had a sense that God wanted to say some words to us from his word. Um, So if you want to just close your eyes and listen, um, I'm paraphrasing it as though God is speaking it directly to us. It's from Psalm 139. My people, I have searched you and I know you. I know when you sit and when you rise. I perceive your thoughts from afar. I discern your going out and your lying down. I am familiar with all your ways. Before a word is on your tongue, I know it completely. I hem you in behind and before. I lay your hand. I lay my hand upon you. Where can you go from my spirit? Where can you flee from my presence? If you go up to the heavens, I am there. If you make your bed in the depths, I am there. If you rise on the wings of the dawn, if you settle on the far side of the sea, even there, my hand will guide you. My right hand will hold you fast. I created your inmost being. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. My works are wonderful. Your frame was not hidden from me when you were made in the secret place. My eyes saw your unformed body. How precious to me are your thoughts. I love you.